Welcome to a podcast from Hope Church Glasgow. For more about us, check out hopechurchglasgow.org. Hi, my name's Anthony Hilda and thank you Hope Church for having me here to record a couple of guest podcasts, I suppose, like a special appearance or two. Um, The plan is that it's two. Obviously, if you only ever hear one and there's no number two, then maybe it didn't work out quite as well as everyone hoped. But we'll see. And uh, yeah, uh, nice to speak to you all. And I hope what we talk about today is uh, a blessing and an encouragement and a maybe a refresher for some, maybe a, a clarifier for others, and maybe an illuminator for even others. What I want to share about today is something uh, I've called the Bible story. Now, it's part of a a series that I've taught before, looking at scripture and looking at the story of the Bible. And it came around from my time at Bethel when just, you know, being around and teaching and dealing with different students from all different walks of life. I kind of realized that actually in a lot of ways there were kind of gaps or or, or fuzzy bits in people's understanding of of scripture and um the story of scripture really and like the order of events and the significance of events and and even what the significant events were and and uh you know obviously some people were young christians and and some people had only ever heard one kind of slant on things or take on things and and you know and and, yeah the reality is that the bible is a phenomenally complex book i mean it's a thick book it's a book written by multiple people there's multiple styles of writing there's uh multiple perspectives on it it covers you know thousands of years and you know we we obviously uh, a sort of kind of come to the place where for many of us we're believing like this is the inspired word of god um great okay but you know there are there are passages which just you're like what on earth is that talking about and what does that mean compared with that and what's this bit even in here and who's this even chatting about and and uh you know that was kind of my experience with with the bible really um you know i didn't grow up in a non-christian family um i i i gave my life to christ as a teenager so i had no foundational undergirding of you know sunday school or, or classes or 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 only the kind of the kids work you know I, I didn't know those cheesy christian songs that were pumped into <laughs> people that i know from the age of like two to memorize stuff and know stories so i kind of you know i got you get saved and then someone goes i'm going to buy you a bible and i'm like oh great has it got pictures you know is it what do i do and someone gives me this this thick book with really tiny writing and even thinner pages and i was like what do you even do it and someone just said to me start reading the the bits that have got you know english sounding names and so you kind of look at the contents and then you realize that's like halfway you know halfway through well actually you know when you look at it's two-thirds of the way through when you consider the old testament so i was like well what about this bit here and you know i'm reading some things not really getting it and i'm like okay i'm gonna do what you normally do with books rather than this being like one of those adventure game books where it's like you know you you read a paragraph and you've got a choice between you know if you want to go left turn to paragraph 103 and if it's turn right go to paragraph 95 maybe that's a generation thing here but that's what we used to do as kids it was quite a cool thing at school um you know a bit like the bible i was like i I don't even know where to go so you know i started at the beginning you know i got through all the the bits at the beginning that i didn't understand about prefaces and translation philosophy and all those kind of things and 
yeah genesis and uh, you know you read genesis and genesis one god creates stuff brilliant okay great you know but pretty soon within two chapters you've got a talking snake you know a little bit further on you've got people dying you've got a brother that kills another brother you've got people having sex with each other that, that shouldn't have been and people getting you know fire called down from heaven and you've got a weird thing with sheep that are specked versus spotted and then you get to plagues and you're just like this is just a crazy book and i did not know what to do with it and so you know over time and reading and questions and stuff like that i i, I kind of have you know got to the point where i've got some kind of framework that helps me just understand this book and you know understanding it just helps us extract what the meaning is and maybe what god wants to say to us and through it so that's why i want to just go through over these next couple of podcasts um now i'm aware that in some ways it might not be a sexy subject you know it's not like miracles or the prophetic or you know deliverance or whatever um okay but you know all those things come from the bible and all those things have a theology and theology is a big word but it just means you know knowing god understanding god the, the study of god and scripture is one of the ways we get that scripture itself is obviously secondary to the person of jesus christ but the person that's through jesus christ is in the bible so jesus talks about that himself so that's why we're going to talk about today the bible story and I want to give some real practical tools, framework, and just kind of run through what the story of the Bible is. And, and what my goal and my hope is, is that it, like I said, it clarifies or illuminates or refreshes us. Um, because the Bible is actually a story. It, it's, uh, you know, some people, you know, the kind of classic thing is a book of rules. And you know what? Sure, there are rules in there. But the rules bit is actually a minority compared to other types of literature, like a historical story and narrative and and uh, you know poetry and letters and all these kind of things and so just understanding how all these things connect to each other and in the overall story so some of you are listening you might consider yourself really confident with the bible you're confident about its structure and you know the stories and the events and the people really well some people you might know some of the stories some of the people some of the events but maybe you're not as confident in either the order that they happen or how it all fits together or a third type of people could be like me when I was <laughs> early days as a Christian. I knew Jesus, I knew Adam and Eve, I didn't know anything else and I kind of wanted to get to grips with it. So that's what we're going to do and that's what we're going to go through today. So Father, give us illumination as we just listen to the Bible story. I pray that we would be, just like you said Jesus on the Emmaus Road, that we would understand how it's all actually really about you, this book. In your name, Amen. So, so the Bible is not meant to be a textbook, actually. And as much as we study it theology wise and there's courses and doctorates and degrees and they're all fine, you know, it, it's to reduce it to a textbook is to miss out on its beauty. It's a story. It tells us about people. It tells us about events and it uses all sorts of tools to do that. It uses narratives and stories. It uses history it uses poetry it uses biography it uses metaphor it uses letters it's there's a play in there it it's all been kind of engineered by god to speak different ways to different people now why why story why do we say that why is that important um 
Now, most of us, if we're honest, we remember uh, things like, um, in, in stories, we remember characters and you remember uh, plot twists, you remember events that happen, you remember uh, things like uh, illustrations. You know, I, I wonder why, you know, when we think about that sort of stuff, if that's not really why Jesus says um, he's going to teach, teach in parables. Um, now, before most people could write, and even today, really, things are remembered when you pass them down in story form. You know, my kids, uh, you know, three and five, one doesn't write, one does write in that kind of early, you know, young kid way. Um, but they remember stories. They remember stories, you know. And, and historically, stories have been used to uh, teach morality and ethics. They, they, teach virtue and vices they teach uh, using heroes to sort of show what characteristics or traits are, are, are good and worthy and they use uh, villains to kind of say what what vices and behavior and attitudes are, are bad or evil and they use to kind of you remember a character you remember fairy stories you remember fables we remember nursery rhymes you know we remember um you know all those kind of things you know and disney kind of jump on the bandwagon and do what they do with them and, and make them come alive but you remember them you know think about tv shows or movies you know i think we're many of us we're, we're in the age of the box set and there's some really popular series that are multiple multiple series multiple episodes and you know you can kind of go oh yeah you know uh, um have you seen you know x pick pick a story that you like so, so a show probably dated again which is always difficult but uh, for some of you heard of it some of you I thoroughly endorse it. It's called The West Wing. Um, and it's um, early 2000s, so don't judge me. Fantastic writing, fantastic acting. And it's an insight into uh, the President of the United States and his kind of inner circle of advisors and how their personal and professional lives kind of intersect with each other and world events as they're kind of navigating the different things that come up in government. It's very good and a lot better than it sounds. But there's seven series. So when you think The West Wing, there's an overall story from episode one of series one to the final episode of series seven and there's so many changes and progressions and developments each season's made of 23 episodes so you can watch season one and you get a whole kind of story arc as it were and things happen and you can do the same with two and three and you can kind of watch them out of order it's just obviously if you jump in at series four there'll be things you just it'd be referring to that you don't have a clue about or characters you don't understand the backstory about but you know you better pick it up and, and kind of go along you can pick up episodes each series you know 23 episodes you take one episode it's a standalone story between you know it's the first minute to the final minute but yet they all maybe refer to previous episodes or or, or hint at kind of previous events that have been shown and the point is that in a funny way the bible is maybe like that as well it's a storybook and it's made up of 66 chapters and you can pick up any one of the books and you'll get some stuff but if you understand what was before it and what's after it, maybe you're going to get a bit more. You can see the contrast. You can see what it's building upon or how it's laying a foundation for what's to follow. And so I want to propose that the Genesis uh, account, you know, book of Genesis at the beginning is the kind of once upon a time, if you like, of the Bible. And the book of Revelation is the happily ever after. And everything in between that is the story of God. It's a story of God walking and working with humanity to undo the evil and bring about the good that he's always wanted to do. So that's what I'm going to talk, talk about when I want to go through. 
Um, now, you've obviously got this book, 66 books of the Bible, 66 chapters. You know, you've got the book of Philemon or 3 John, which is like, you know, you read it in like five minutes. You've got Psalms, which is the longest with 150 Psalms. You know, there's the the beast of Psalm 117, which I think is um, crazy amounts. And that 119 is really short. It might be the other way around. But, you know, there's a tiny Psalm of like four verses and one which is like, I don't know, 176 or something. It's, it's crazy. So people have tried to kind of divide this up in different ways. And, you know, great. Anything that helps. Um, what, I, what I've done, and, and I just want to, you know, again, offer this to you um, as a potential framework. Um, if we take the Bible as a story and we look at it like it's a play, what we can do is we can divide it into eight scenes. Eight scenes. And each of those scenes is based around you know major people or major events uh, and that way we kind of by by understand that we can kind of zone in straight away on the the key people the key events um and begin to work out kind of the chronological order as it were and, and what goes before and what goes after so those those eight scenes that i want to kind of propose for you is um the first one is creation and fall the second one is the patriarchs so that's kind of abraham isaac jacob joseph the third scene is the exodus so we're looking at moses and you know kind of coming out of egypt and coming to the promised land the fourth scene is the kingdom is the kingdom of israel and kingdom of judah so that looks at people like david and solomon the fifth one is the exile and that's the the fall of of jerusalem um the the sixth scene is actually jesus when jesus arrives on the scene so there's five scenes that are kind of key before jesus steps in scene seven is the church so kind of from the, the ascension of jesus to heaven to uh you know kind of the, the holy spirit coming and paul's in there and the apostles um and then there's the eighth and last scene is the new heavens and the new earth which is uh primarily in revelation though not exclusively now that's all great you know eight distinct scenes but the other thing that's interesting to think about is is that story themes eight scenes and i want to propose that there's at least six themes that run through the bible from the beginning in genesis to the end of revelation and those six themes running through each of those eight scenes help us when we kind of you know if you visualize the uh the eight scenes as like a, a horizontal timeline then the six themes kind of pop up in each of them from beginning to end and that helps us understand uh how things fit together um and in the course i used to teach uh you know we would look at the six themes and spend you know kind of like a couple of sessions looking at each each one and just building the story from genesis through the the scenes um on each of these themes and understand how they all relate and come together and the six themes that i think run through the bible and are kind of like if you get these six things you're going to get the, the bible story basically the first one is jesus the second one is uh, the theme of covenant the third one is the theme of presence that's not just a new testament thing that's actually a whole bible thing uh, number four is the kingdom and again that's not just a new testament thing it's a, a bible thing number five is salvation and number six is worship 
Um, when we understand the perspective of each theme, it, it just helps shed light on the, the overall story. And as we understand each theme more fully, our understanding of how all those themes interconnect grows, and that helps us understand the whole story in a new way. Now, <clears throat> on one level, we're probably all going to be familiar with some of the events and some of the people that I'm going to look at and go through today. Um, but when we look at them from different angles and we understand the order and what else is happening at the time, um, it, it, may, it might just re reveal and throw out some things we didn't know or maybe we'd forgotten. You know, and the reality is that sometimes some scenes of a story come up more than once because there's some parts, they're key, they're pivotal and you know they're reinforced and, and repeated and reiterated. Um, sometimes some things kind of uh, only mentioned with some things but not others and, and that's okay because it's about building them all in together and not just looking at things from an isolated perspective. Um, but basically I, I just want to um, help us all see and understand the story of the Bible in a new and fresh way. And I think sometimes putting some numbers and dates on things is helpful as well. So it's just to kind of, again, gives us a bit of a framework. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter whether you remember these or not. Um, but the point is that, you know, in a weird way, if we actually think of things in kind of 500 year blocks, um, that can, again, give us a little bit more of a, a framework. So, uh, I mean, I'm not going to date creation and the fall because no one knows no one knows and obviously people have so many different interpretations of genesis whether it's literal or it's a fable or whatever um you know and some people i know there was a bishop bishop usher i think in 1800s who decided that it was 4004 bc because he added up all the ages of people in genesis and you know fine um and other people kind of obviously it's millions or it's hundred thousand i i'm not even going to do that i'm going to stay away from that but the patriarchs we can kind of say were and again this is approximate approximately 2000 bc and that's approximate and that's kind of going on archaeology and historical events that are in the book that we kind of have an idea for um you know some of these things you kind of hold a little bit loosely but just for the purposes of understanding chronology and timing we can put the patriarchs of kind of abraham isaac jacob joseph at kind of roughly 2000 bc the exodus with moses 1500 bc so 500 years between say abraham and moses the kingdom of you know of Israel being formed that's a thousand BC so that's David so 500 years between Abraham and Moses 500 years between Moses and David now the exile which you know obviously as you can imagine the more recent history we have more evidence and more understanding of things you know writing written records etc the exile um, uh, when Israel fell because of the Babylonian and the Assyrian conquests again approximately there or thereabouts 500 BC so that's 500 years between the exile uh, the in effect you could say the end of the of the uh, kingdom of Israel and Judah as we see in scripture it's 500 years between that and the starting of it with, with you know um, with Samuel and David and then um, Jesus again zero year zero um, again there or thereabouts but the point is 500 years between the exile so um, you can work backwards with Jesus at zero 500 years before that is the exile 500 years before that's the kingdom of David 500 years before that 1500 BC is the exodus and Moses 500 years before that the patriarchs and say Abraham um, and obviously the, the church is kind of obviously after Jesus ascended so you're looking at around about 33 AD um, and you know the story of the church is still being written because we're writing it church history um, is now um, and obviously everything that's been in the previous 2000 years is part of that story and the new heavens the new earth 
no idea no one knows again but at some point there's gonna be a new new <laughs> a new heaven and new earth so until then we're in the story of the church so let's go back and let's start to think about these um the, the scenes and I'm, I'm going to be looking at the scenes in this podcast not the themes um but let's just look at the bible story again and just let this refresh you let this rejuvenate you let this kind of inspire you um let it bless you whether you know it or not you feel familiar with it or not um it's the, it's the scriptures it's the story of god the story of god that he's sharing let it speak to you so when we go back to the the scene one the creation and the fall it begins with just simply in the beginning now there's no explanation it's just god there's there's nothing else creation comes out of nothing and humanity is kind of as it were created as the centerpiece of creation the apex of creation god creates all these things and all these lives and all these animals and builds them up and the final kind of culmination is humanity adam and eve they're made in the image of god they're godlike and creation is declared very good it's not declared evil the material world is not evil is declared good very good and adam and eve are created for relationship and friendship with god there's meant to be a dynamic there a dialogue an interaction and an intimacy but they are given jobs to do they are tasked with caring for this creation stewarding this creation on god's behalf like god's um representative if you like um on the earth and you know we know the story they can eat from fruits from any tree can eat from the truth of the tree of eternal life apart from one tree they can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil now they're tempted by a serpent so many things about that that's fascinating but what we see is you know however we interpret the story they break the the one rule that god said don't do they eat the forbidden fruit as it were their eyes are open they see things that they were never meant to see that they've been shielded from they see that they're naked they've lost their innocence they know shame uh, they know they've broken the rules and so they hide from god and straight away what that means is that there is no longer a pure and intimate uh, kind of nothing hidden relationship between them and god there's hiding and and avoiding and withdrawal they don't trust god they don't trust his words and they choose their own kind of way of doing things their own independence so they basically reject god as their as their king and want to do their own thing and, and obviously what that means is that you know straight away there's a problem there's a fracture in the relationship between god and humanity and, and when you look at the scripture now obviously we, we know that the, the scriptures you see it in genesis 3 that god curses them and he puts them out the garden but what you see is when they're kind of almost like god's kind of talking with uh you know he, he's talking within the trinity and he's talking to the kind of the other spiritual creatures the the you know the angelic host as it were and kind of saying in effect god gives his rationale for this it's a God's rationale for putting out the garden is not because he hates them and he's angry and it's get out and rah, but it's actually he doesn't want them to live forever eating for the tree um, of um, you know eternal life, the fruit of eternal life. He doesn't want them to live forever unredeemed and separate and distanced from him. So he takes them away from that source of life so they would come to him for the source of life. So it's actually an act of compassion. God is removing them from something that would keep them away from him so they would turn to him. It's restorative. It's restorative. If they don't leave, they'll live forever. God loved us too much to let us live eternally separated and detached and disconnected from him. And that's the first scene. And that's obviously covered in the first few chapters of, of, of Genesis. 
Now you go forward into, um, you know, there's other things, there's Cain and Abel, and there's the, the flood, and there's the Tower of Babel. Um, but we come to scene two, the patriarchs. This is around about 2000 BC. And you get this guy who's just, you know, after all the kind of early Genesis kind of stuff, Abraham is introduced. Now, he's a pagan. He's not a lover of God. He doesn't know God. He's a pagan from what is, you know, modern day Iraq. He's an idolater. And because he would have been in a region uh, where um, basically we, we just know because of historical archaeology, they worshipped idols. They worshipped, you know, the moon and they worshipped all these other things. But God speaks to him. God speaks to him. Basically, God says to him, and it's Genesis 12, in effect, leave your country, leave your people, and leave your father's household. Basically, turn your back on everything you know and all the things that are sources of life for you and blessing for you and for you and your future, and go to the land I'll show you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great, and you will be a blessing. God's promising to give him a legacy. I'm going to bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. And God makes an agreement, a covenant with Abraham. And he says that if Abraham, who, who later is Abraham, follows him, God will bless him. Now, Abraham, we know the story, doesn't hasn't had kids. Actually, you know, God blesses him with, well, two children, actually. There's uh, obviously Ishmael through him trying to do it his own way. And that doesn't work out the best. But the, the promised child is the second one is Isaac. Now, Isaac has a son called Jacob um, again Jacob is the second born um, so you've got patterns here straight away fascinating stuff for, for when you look into it and um, Jacob later has a name change to Israel Jacob has loads of sons with two wives two concubines again he's an interesting guy not not an angel by any means Jacob um, and he um, he has his favorite son who's called Joseph now Joseph's brother's He's a favourite child, you know, multicoloured coats and, you know, doesn't have to do any of the work. All they're, all they're all working with is sheep and he's just standing there supervising. He's made a manager of all his older brothers. You know, there's a lot of resentment and a lot of favouritism. It's really bad parenting when you look at the story of, of Jacob. Um, they get jealous. They sell him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt and years later he becomes the prime minister. Now, through a mixture of prophetic dreams and just wisdom and skills that he's learned, in his slavery um, through managing and administration of different places being put joseph prepares for a famine that comes and affects that whole entire region the nations come joseph's family come from far away wanting food and big family reunion and joseph's entire family uproot and move to egypt where they're looked after and provided for 10 of joseph's brothers and two of his sons become the founders of the 12 tribes of Israel. And over the next 400 years, they multiply within Egypt. And that is basically, those events with, with Isaac, Jacob and Joseph are covered with the, the kind of the final chapters, a big massive end chunk of Genesis. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, scholars believe that the, the story of Job is also set in this time frame somewhere, this kind of 2000 BC frame. Now, that doesn't mean that Job, the book, was written during that time, because lots of the Bible, there's lots of um, the scriptures that 
were written in a different time frame to the events that maybe they are describing or set and that could be a combination of different things so job wasn't necessarily written during them but they suspect it's set during this time whether it's literal or it's an allegory again it's a massive conversation the point is that job and genesis kind of are set during this patriarchal scene the second scene now scene three we move to the exodus this is 1500 bc um 400 years after Joseph, the Israelites have grown to such a point where the Egyptians are threatened by them. They're scared of a revolt. They're scared of being overthrown. So they make them into slaves. And they has, and the, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians have them building basically all those monuments and statutes and buildings that Egypt is famous for. Um, and you know what? Maybe they did contribute to building pyramids and temples and all sorts of things. God remembers he his agreement his covenant with abraham and so he begins a rescue mission using a guy called moses um moses is uh he's a hebrew he's born a hebrew but he's raised in the palace as an egyptian prince he'd have got basically all the benefits of egyptian education so this is a guy who understands both worlds and he's sent as you know a kind of like a representative of god if you like he confronts pharaoh challenges pharaoh who is dismissive and you know etc <clears throat> and god through moses implements 10 plagues now each of the plagues <clears throat> are quite interesting in their own right because they actually all in their own right disarm <clears throat> or humiliate one of the key gods of egypt it takes out the nile which is their lifeblood you know one of them obscures the sun one of them sends plagues of frogs or flies both of which were kind of icons or images of of gods um <clears throat> uh, you know egyptian key egyptian gods and so you know in effect god is showing pharaoh that he is the supreme god of gods by taking apart the uh, egyptian pantheon of gods but pharaoh is stubborn he resists and ultimately suffers you know we know the, the story that, that the um the oldest son of the households that don't basically follow god's instructions the oldest sons die and that's the thing that breaks him and he lets the people go um the israelites begin a journey the hebrews begin a journey leaving egypt and heading towards the land that God's promised Abraham back in in Genesis and Moses is leading them now in a straight line it's approximately an eight-day walk you can't go in a straight line because that goes you through a desert without water and all that kind of stuff so the normal routes around the desert would be around about three weeks now obviously when you kind of factor in that there's a load of them uh numbers vary some people say it's millions some people say it's close to twenty thousand. it doesn't matter the more you know it's like the more people you've got the more it's like herding cats and you know factoring children old people sick people people carrying their stuff because the egyptians are giving them treasure got animals they need to stop they need to sleep it's, you know it's going to take longer than three weeks but they take 40 years they take 40 years because they grumble and moan and bicker and whinge and complain they spend so much time and they in effect their journey is slowed down and not far from the promised land moses he goes up a mountain to talk to god now this is a really interesting part and when you look at this story um and it's covered in kind of exodus numbers leviticus deuteronomy this whole kind of aspect of of 
the wilderness and the kind of between Egypt and the promised land kind of thing. Um, God wanted a relationship and dynamic with all the people, but they're too scared because they see God as thunder and lightning on uh, above a mountain. They're like, you go, Moses, you talk to him. We can't. We're too scared. And so they're kind of almost like, it's like almost maybe they sacrifice Moses to, to this angry God. But God's heart was, I want a relationship with all of you. But because the people can't handle that, they can't cope with that, they don't want it. God's like, okay, I want a relationship with you. Let's do it this way. And he gives Moses laws and rules that he wants the people to live by, which are called the Ten Commandments. Now, the first one says, don't worship any other God but me. But by the time Moses comes down the mountain carrying those laws, the people have already created an idol with loads of gold and they're worshipping it. So already, before they've even got the laws, they've broken the first one. And that kind of idolatry becomes an ongoing issue throughout Israel's history. They need to turn away from like kind of the unseen and worship the seen. And that's kind of in a funny way, kind of what idolatry looks like. It's, it's steering ourselves towards something that is either seen or felt because it's tangible and it, it it kind of gives us a sense of like purpose or or direction or, or, or power even um and moses and the wilderness and the people have this interesting relationship that's kind of fraught and there's all various things that happen um but before they get to the promised land um moses actually dies and he hands over to his assistant who is a soldier called Joshua actually Moses was a prince and a politician and a shepherd but actually Joshua is a soldier he's a general and it's interesting you know he's the right person for the right season because um the the people in the wilderness needed a kind of a shepherd priest which was Moses but coming to the promised land they need a soldier general to fight and conquer and God raises up the right leader at the right time with the right skill set and mentality and attitude for the season they're coming into he leads them into the promised land and God commands the Hebrews to kick out the people who are already living in the land. Now, all these people, they worship false gods. They've all got sorts of crazy kind of immorality and, and kind of crazy behavior going on. Uh, they they sacrifice their children to, to gods uh, and they all sort lots of other stuff. And God says to them, do not mix with them. Do not marry with them. Do not compromise. Do not make peace. Do not kind of try and uh, get them to integrate with you. Because God knows, because he's watched them in the desert, he knows they'll end up being influenced by them and begin to live like them and take on all the kind of crazy stuff that they do. And, you know, we, we basically see, um, you know, in this kind of scene of the Exodus, and this is kind of towards the end, throughout the book of Joshua, it's detailing these conquests and getting a foothold and, and there's like the siege of Jericho in it and things like that. Joshua dies and the Israelites keep getting into trouble again and again and again. They break the agreement with God countless times by worshipping false gods, the gods of the people they're trying to get rid of. Um, you know, Baal would be one that maybe some of you have heard of. And and actually God's like, it's almost like you see the hand of God saying, you know, kind of, you guys, I, I promise to protect you if you do this, but if you don't, listen to what i'm going to say bad things can happen okay and he kind of almost like steps back and sometimes actually the judgment of god is god steps back and says okay i'll let you take take on the consequence of your decisions sometimes that is what the judgment of god looks like it's letting sin catch us up and so actually you've got this cycle where the the hebrews get bullied again and again by neighboring tribes you know the philistines are in there and the amorites and the ones things get really bad and this cycle kind of perpetuates things get bad the people repent they turn to god 
God is merciful because he's got a mercy. He steps in because he's a rescuer and a deliverer and he intervenes. And he sends them various leaders in this kind of period of history called judges. And that's what the book of Judges is. And these are a kind of military leaders. And a judge in Hebrew culture is one who basically rescues from oppression, brings peace and brings righteousness and justice. It's not a judge in the Western sense of pronouncing kind of guilt or innocence. It's a judge is someone who, who kind of implements righteousness, if you like. Um, some of these judges are great. You know, Deborah's great. Some of them, not so great. Um, you know, you can think of Samson, basically, for example. Um, but God is kind and he's committed to his people and that they get delivered from their troubles by God again and again. They do okay for a bit. Then they sin. Then they begin following false gods. Then it all goes horribly wrong. Repeat, repeat, repeat. And that is basically, if you like, the story of the early days in the promised land um, covered by you know, like I said, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, the book of Judges. Ruth is set in this time as well, actually, probably. Book of Ruth. Um, and, uh, yep, so this is kind of, if you like, the beginning of the of the uh, the people in the land just trying to get established and getting fixed. It moves us on to scene four. Um, and this is the, the the kingdom, as it were, the kingdom of Israel. Now, this is around about 1000 BC. So we've got 500 years between kind of coming out of Egypt, Moses, wilderness and Joshua and getting into the land, the judges, um, to the point where the last judge is here. And this is a man called Samuel. Now, the last judge, Samuel, is also a prophet. Um, God speaks to him and he speaks for God. Israel, as in the people, they notice that all the tribes around them have kings, human kings, and they don't want God as their king, which is the whole point, basically. They want a human king. And Samuel's like, really, guys, if you do that, he's going to oppress you. He's going to want your young men to join the army. It's going to take your best land. He's going to have all the best stuff and he might not be nice to you. And, you know, that's basically sure when, you know, you, you can trust God. God lets them have their way. And they choose Saul, a man called Saul, who is taller than them. And that, in a funny way, kind of sums up their value system is they look to the visible, the visual. And because Saul is like a head taller than all of them, he's the biggest, he's the strongest. They're basically looking to physical power, military might, politics and strength to be their kind of protections as it were it kind of reveals where they're at but Saul is flawed and he starts off okay and then basically gets he gets insecure he's quite jealous um he's he's you know kind of <laughs> quite uh insecure in his thinking but Samuel meanwhile under the direction of God finds this obscure shepherd boy hidden away from a place called Bethlehem and he, following God's direction, anoints him king. And this shepherd boy is called David. Now, David is kind of thrust onto the national scene and he becomes a hero and famous because he kills Goliath. Goliath is a champion of the Philistine invaders and the Philistines are long-term oppressors and enemies of, uh, of Israel. Saul is jealous and basically begins to hunt David for many, many years eventually Saul dies and David becomes the king now David loves God deeply 
and so so many of the book of psalms are from david and god blesses david with success after success after success now david's not perfect he makes some massive mistakes you know he fights against israel at one point but in god's wisdom he keeps him at the back of the army so no one knows that he's a traitor um we know the story of Bathsheba, where he basically uses his powers to um yeah in effect you know sexually exploit someone um he is not always wise with how he raises his children uh, and his son tries to lead a rebellion against him um but actually that the reign of David also has some high points because God gives in plans for the temple. Uh, David um, moves kind of like the, the Ark of the Covenant, which is a sign of God's presence and has it in the middle of Jerusalem, in the middle amongst the people, and basically kind of has it as, as, like as a focal and a central point of the worship for the nation, which, which shows his heart. Um, he, he kind of teaches and trains his son Solomon to say, you know, you're going to build a temple which needs to be better than anything on the planet. Um, and actually, th th this is kind of like some of the high points of Israel's history as a nation. Um, Solomon's reign starts off really well. You know, he's really wise and, and, and people come to listen to him. But it doesn't actually end well because he ends up being distracted. He, he marries loads of women and some of them are political alliances, but some of them are just because he can. And he's he kind of has his whole, I mean, he's, he's like a whole city built for his chariot. So, you know, it's like <laughs> having a whole city for your cars. He, he's kind of distracted by materialism and by, by women. He, he's enjoying the spoils of being the king and he's taking his eye off the ball. It doesn't end well, but because... God is loves David and and he says you know he's not going to basically in effect punish Solomon the judgment of all the things that's been happening with Solomon is going to happen during the reign of Solomon's son because of how affectionate God is for David and Solomon's son comes in and he basically tries to be a little bit of a dictator tyrant and there's a revolt there's a rebellion and the kingdom splits in half two tribes break away the ten tribes and if you like and it's like it's geographical so kind of like two tribes in the south the tribe of benjamin and the tribe of judah break away from israel break away and form their own nation and they become the kingdom of judah the ten tribes in the north they keep the name israel now jerusalem is in judah and so what you've got now is the kingdom of israel in the north which is ten tribes and the kingdom of judah in the south two tribes but they have jerusalem and the books of Kings, 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles basically start to tell us the, the history, if you like, of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. And generally speaking, apart from one or two, they're not great. They're not smart. They lead people away from God. They worship idols. They do silly things. And as well as the covenant of God being broken again and again and again, these kings and the people that they lead embrace immorality, social injustice, treat the poor really bad. And unfortunately, the pattern that we saw um, begin all the way back during the time of judges of sin, repent, rescue, sin, repent, rescue is basically the typical pattern for the nations of Israel and the nations of Judah, bar one or two exceptions um and you know uh, the books that cover this kind of kingdom period if you like is is first samuel the first part of one chron first chronicles we've got second samuel first kings look at david and solomon and second the, the first part of second chronicles 
lots of the psalms are, are during that period as well but psalms is an interesting book because as much as so much of it is from the pen of david some psalms are actually written by moses so you can kind of start that off in exodus and some psalms are later closer to the exile but we also have some of the writings of Solomon here, which is mostly, but again, not all of it. The, the Proverbs, a lot of them come from Solomon, but not all of them. Song of Songs is a, a love story, which is um, supposed, supposed to be about one of Solomon's marriages, maybe. And then there's Ecclesiastes, which kind of feels like a bittersweet um, reflection by Solomon at the end of his life when he looks back and goes, yeah, I missed so much and some stuff means nothing at all. Um, Ecclesiastes is a very sobering but also actually I really like it it's a good read but that was kind of during this period and I like to think it was Solomon's kind of record of repentance but that's just my opinion um, but that takes us up towards the end of the kingdom period which is like 1000 BC um, and I'm going to stop there because that's coming up to 45 minutes um, and in part two I'm going to pick this up again and we're going to start at the fifth scene which is the exile see where we go after this kind of the kingdom what happens to the kingdom of israel and the kingdom of judah with their not great kings where do we go from there so thanks for listening and um, i hope you pick it up on part two bye for now thank you for listening find us on instagram facebook or search hope church glasgow on your favorite podcast player